I was I got a tickle every time uh, Pastor Clayton King would would get up to speak. He'd get to going and he'd say, and for the next 25 minutes, I'm going to share this with you. And I thought I'd get up here today and say, you bear with me for the next 25 minutes, but I realize if I said that, I wouldn't be telling you the truth. So, <clears throat> anyway. Romans uh, chapter 1 this morning. And I want to ask you, if you would, please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. And I want to begin there in verse 16 and 17. And just talking about two great truths uh, today uh, that relate to these two things. How we believe and how we are to behave. And I believe the, Rome, the book of Romans really sums up those two things. Paul would spend 11 chapters telling us why it is important that we believe what we believe and then he would spend those final five chapters in the application aspect of how we are to behave because of the things in which we believe. So, uh, verse 16 of chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For it is in the righteousness of God it is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray, God, you'd be glorified in the preaching of your word. God, thank you for the blessing of new beginnings. And God, to, tomorrow as we roll into a new year, uh, Lord, whatever we've struggled with or, or whatever resolution we made that we didn't quite make it, God, we have another opportunity. Lord, help us to seek your will and to know it and to do it and to use not our own limited power, but Lord, to lean on those unfailing arms of you and God, to, to, to use, to apply the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised you from the dead on the third day that resides in the heart of every believer to fulfill the call that you have on our individual lives. For your glory we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. I, um, I got a little chuckle out of something that I saw. It was a, it was a sign that, that was at a Dairy Queen, and it said, Wrecking your New Year's resolutions since 1962. And I thought, yeah, that's true. Uh, if you're going to show up at Dairy Queen, uh, you're going to get, yeah, it's going to wreck you. Um, but this morning, as I said, I want to I just focus on those two things, belief and behavior. Because what we believe determines our worldview, and our worldview affects really how we live. And we understand that nobody is ever going to rise above their worldview. That, that, that is the governing uh, if you want to look at parenthesis of our life, it, it, it keeps us within a connected boundary of what we're willing to do and how far we're willing to go. And, and the uniqueness of the letter that Paul wrote is, I mean, Romans is such a theological masterpiece because it addresses really every doctrine of our faith in one letter. 
And, and Paul, as he is uh, at a place of ministry, he's wrapping up his third missionary journey. We're somewhere uh, 57, 58 A.D. So, so this is being written within just a few decades of, of, the, of the cross. And I, and I go back to tell you again the importance. You have, you have a lot of people that say you can't trust the Bible, it's made up. And you'll find that people who say that have often never read the Bible, but they heard somebody on the National Geographic or the Discovery Channel say such, and they, they just, you know, they believe it. Uh, it was an interesting show, and they want to kind of spout that along. But you'll find that most people who, who don't want, you know, who don't think the Bible is true, have really never read the Bible, and they've certainly never looked into the apologetic aspect of, of what the Scriptures say and how through his history these things are, are just are, are affirmed and proved over and over and over again. And so you've got to understand, if you're circulating letters within the first 10, 20, 30 years of the event that have happened, you understand the majority of people that you're going to encounter have lived through that time. And they know whether you're telling the truth or not. You know what I mean? I mean, it's hard, it's hard for a hundred people to experience an event and then the very next day, one of those people go out and completely lie about the entire event and that goes on for 2,000 years. That just don't happen. And, and Paul reminds us that as he writes this theological masterpiece, this is being written within the 20 years of resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's at a, he's, he's at a, a stopping point in this, in this missionary journey, number three. He's about to start number four. He, he wants to go. He believes he's being called to go to Jerusalem. And, and he wants to get this letter to Rome. Now here's Rome, the capital of the known world at the time. A vast kingdom. Two languages. And Paul understands the need that a church would have in the midst of, of the pagan world to have this theological masterpiece. And so he's about to get on a ship, uh, or he's, he's, a, he's ready to, 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 to go to Jerusalem, and he wants to get the letter here. He, he, he finds uh, a church at Corinth where he's at, and, and we believe this uh, young woman that he mentions uh, in, uh, Philipp, uh, in uh, Romans 16 named Phoebe, that she actually delivers this letter to the church at Rome. And, of course, Paul was under the, the uh, conviction of God to go to Jerusalem and, and quite honestly believing that if he went there, he may not ever leave. And so someone hand-delivered this to the church. They had to. And, and the importance of this, and I just want to say this from the, from the outset, we need to understand that when we look into these things, understand the, the great effort, the great amount of, of just the sovereignty of God making this a reality that we're sitting here uh, fixing to go into year 2024 and we have a Bible in our hand. Think of all that God did and the saints that have went before us did, and the trouble, and, and really the lies that they were willing to lay down so that you and I could sit here today and read a copy of the Word of God in a language that we can understand. To God be the glory. What a blessing we have. And, and, and Paul understanding the need that the church would, would need this letter so that they could effectively 
change the culture that they lived in. And they did. They did. And we are to do nothing less than that. So as I said, this is the central theme that uh, God would desire that we know what we believe and then as a result of that belief that we live in a way that would honor God, that would be consistent with who we say we are uh, for the purpose of reaching people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a need to walk the walk, but there's also a need to talk that talk, to say and to preach the gospel and to back that gospel up with affirming actions that come to us from the Word of God. Now Paul says in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, for the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And he mentions the Jew first, and then the Greek. And the reality of that is that of all the people that were ready to embrace the gospel and what it meant, the Jews were equipped to do that. Why? They had the whole history. They, they understood that, that God had promised them a Messiah. God had told them where Messiah was to be born. Uh, and we just talked a lot about that over the last month. And we understand that the Bible talked about not only uh, who He would be, where He would come from, what He would do as, as acts and miracles that He would perform, but that He would even be crucified uh, in a way uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before anybody even knew what crucifixion was. God told His people these things would happen. And so Paul said they were equipped to receive the gospel with gladness because they had all the history. You recall when Paul would go into the regions there, uh, Mars Hill, he, when he would preach to the Greeks, that he spent a great time having to give them some background to understand the gospel in which he preached. And remember, some of them thought he was crazy and some believed. But they, they lacked the history. And so he just didn't show up talking about a man came out of the grave, but he took the time to say why this was necessary because unlike the Jewish people, they had no idea what he was talking about. And they, they had no idea of the perspective or the historical nature that, that Messiah, that Jesus, the Savior, would come from. So he took the time to, to educate them from an apologetic standpoint, give them answers to the questions so that they would believe the gospel. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. Paul helps us to understand today two great truths, two big profound points this morning. Number one is that belief, the belief that results in salvation. And number two is the belief in the, in the unrestricted availability of salvation. Belief in the unlimited power of salvation and belief in the unrestricted availability of salvation. Paul gives us these two profound points. That there is a belief that results in salvation and that is a belief in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is it unlimited as it relates to the power of salvation? Because it's for everybody. It is for everybody. See, as, as Paul would preach in Philippi, he would be jailed for the gospel. At Thessalonica, he would be expelled from the city for the gospel. At Berea, he would be, have to be smuggled out of the city. And at Athens, as I said earlier, he was scorned and spoken of as a foolish man. It was a stumbling block 
to the Jews, and it was considered foolishness to the Greeks. And yet Paul stood firm in the commitment and his conviction that salvation comes by the way of the gospel and only that way. And we are to stand firm in our conviction today in spite of opposition. It is the power of God unto salvation. And that is unlimited. It is unlimited in its nature to bring people to Jesus Christ. It is the call of God. Notice in verse 16 it says, I am not ashamed for it. There is no other way. See, one of our worst ideas today is what what I would say is soft selling of the gospel. In in that there, there, there is some area that we can mutually find between the church and the lost world that nobody will be offended and that it will be a big broad gate that leads into the kingdom and there is no such thing. There is no such thing. There is only one way. That's not a Southern Baptist thing. I mean, it is, but it's because it's a Jesus thing. Jesus said he is is the way. Uh, Not just a way, but the way. And and, and the Bible tells us that, that it is a narrow gate, that it is a straight way, and that there there is a way, uh, there is a a culture, there is a a way to what we believe is good to the world that seems to be right, but the end of that is destruction. See, Paul reminds us that there is an unlimited power of salvation. The gospel will save everyone. Anyone who will believe it in faith. That's great news. Doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter how light or dark brown we are. It doesn't matter uh, on a socioeconomic scale of where we fit in, how much the gross income is, the nation we come from, regardless of the GDP. The gospel saves. Only the gospel saves. We're not saved by good intentions, and Lord knows we have a lot of that. But we're not saved by good intentions. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by coming face to face with the reality that Jesus made a way because we could not come to Him and it is through His shed blood on what He did on our behalf that we are able to be saved today. And Paul said, I am not ashamed because in the midst of of the great culture of Rome, this is the message that will change and this is the message that will save and transform a culture for generations. And it has. It did. The unlimited power of salvation. This belief that results in salvation. It may sound foolish. It's unscientific. I mean, dead men don't rise from the grave. But history tells us that a dead man did rise from the grave. I mean, how, I mean, again, how in the world do you fake an event like that and we're here 2,000 years later? It just doesn't make sense. We, we're not blind faith people. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Uh, Jesus Christ is alive today. Uh, they saw Him alive, witnessed Uh, Him alive, ate dinner with the man. 
We have a faith that is grounded in, in the historical aspect of what Jesus did. This, and this belief, it results in salvation in the unlimited power of God to use it to change and transform us by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul teaches us that this belief, that is, uh, it is unrestricted in availability. Again, it is for everybody. It is for the Jew. It is for the Gentile. Why is it for everybody? Well, because Scripture tells us that everybody needs it. That everybody needs it. The need requires, because the Scriptures teach us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Salvation is available to all because all need it, without exception. And the gospel is there without restriction because everybody has sinned. There is a need that requires it. We understand there is a grace that provided it, right? Scriptures tell us there in Romans 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not through our church membership, although that's important. Not through our works, though that is important. But the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ at the expense of the only begotten of the Father. Provided. He paid for it. Gave it to us as a gift that we must receive it in faith. From faith to faith. In it the scriptures say the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God, the unrighteousness of man. And that God's grace would provide it. There's no one good enough to merit salvation. That's why God offers it to us without restriction because no one could, could attain it in their own flesh. Jesus Christ provided it for us through His grace that He would lay His life down for our sins. And, and speaking of that life, what a price that was paid for it. Um, I remember when I was in economics class in the eighth grade, Mr. Burnett, or Burnett, Mr. Burnett was the teacher. Mr. Burnett was an interesting fellow. And uh, in that class, there were two things that you always, every test, you, you had to know the definition of, of what economics was. You had to know the type of, of economic system that was in America. And you always had to be able to answer this question that there was no such thing as a free lunch. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Those, he, those were the three things that you left that class knowing. Um, and, and that if by chance you got in trouble, you understood this. And you'd know after the first person. But if you ever got out in the hall, and back then, you know, I mean, in shop class, we made paddles for the teachers, okay? They, they used them. And, uh, you know, I, I got to sample my own product before. So, you know, but Mr. Burnett, if he ever took you out in the hall, he'd ask you, you want the machine gun or the shotgun? And I'm just telling you, you better choose the machine gun because it was over in about a split second. You didn't want the shotgun because about time it stopped stinging, he would hit it again. 
And you understood that because the first person that went out and chose that method, believe me, everybody else knew we got to keep it. We got to keep it together. And Lord knows if we don't, we don't want the shotgun. We're going to choose the machine gun. But he always made us understand there is no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody's got to pay for it. And, and salvation that is free to you and I today is because Jesus Christ paid for it. He purchased it with his own blood. The scriptures tell us in Romans, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He proved his love through death for us. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That's everybody. That whosoever will, let him come. Christ died on our behalf voluntarily. In John 10, he says, I lay down my life. No man takes it from me. Folks, the cross was not an accident. It was a destination. And the events that unfolded, yes, we saw a man that knew no sin be wrongfully accused and be convicted and be put to death as in a method that was reserved for the most heinous criminals. And the Bible tells us over and over again, it makes the connection to you and I that a just man died unjustly. John would say that if, if, if we were to record, if we were to try to record all the good that Jesus did, there are not enough volumes in the world that would contain it. The scriptures go out of their way, or not necessarily out of their way, but they make it clear that Christ was a good man, a righteous man, a sinless man, and he died a death for you and I that would be reserved for the worst of criminals. Why? Because of His love. And that love that God had for us that we receive in salvation is a love that ensures to us that when we close our eyes in death that we will wake up in the presence of God. Romans 8 so clearly says, For I am persuaded. The, the, the word means I'm convinced. I am sure of. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to tell you, saints of God, this morning there are many a, a men and women, many a saint of God that in their final days in their final moments on this side of heaven, cleave to the promise of those words. I, I remember a man by the uh, reading about a man named Robert Bruce. He was a disciple of John Knox in, in the 1600s. And as he called to his daughter on the, on the day and just a few moments before he would leave this world, a, a blind man now old in his years, uh, he said uh, to his daughter, Place my finger. Place my finger on those words, Romans 8, that I know as I close my eyes in death, as he told her, I have breakfast with you this morning, I will sup with our Lord tonight. 
the confidence that we know, the love of God that ensures it to you and I, that if we've received it, we can never lose it. Now this belief in the unlimited power of salvation and the, un, and, and the unlimited availability. And understand when, when I say that, I want to stress that. It is the job of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to make the gospel available, to get it out there, to share it. And, and, and we understand that if we believe that and we behave like that, that the gospel means something uh, to us, that it is going to change our conduct. Listen, we cannot share a gospel with a lost world and not be changed by it. If we're not changed by the power of gospel of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we won't care if anybody else hears it. But if we care, if we've been changed, if God is all, he is the author of that gospel and He has altered our destination, that where we were once headed away from God to a destructive place the Bible calls hell, and now we are headed toward heaven to a place that He has prepared for us, it ought to move us to godly fear to share that message. Absolutely. We believe all should hear. And whether we are contributing in a way to share it abroad or we're sharing it uh, by word uh, to our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, or whatever it is that we're doing, the idea is to get people under the gospel message because we believe that it is the only way a person can be saved. So we believe in the unlimited power and we believe that it should be available and we understand that there is a belief that results in a change of behavior. Now that's not my words, that's what Paul said. Paul said under the inspiration of God, in Romans chapter 12 there, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. And notice what he says. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. In light of what you know, I want you to listen to me, and I beseech you. I don't, I don't command you, but I un you are a brother in Christ. Paul's saying, under your own volition, you need to take what you say you believe seriously. Paul says, I can't make you do anything. That's why he said, I beseech you. You're a brother in the faith. There's been change. Live like you are this new creation in Jesus Christ. Belief results in salvation and behavior results from salvation. He says, I beseech you therefore. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Is Paul saying, I'm going to drag you to the altar? No. Because Paul understands, I can't do that. God, God has called me to equip the saints of God. Not to make you do anything. Because if there's one thing, I mean, and, and let me tell you. If there is one thing I've learned from being in the ministry, I can't make nobody do nothing. And I bet you've learned that too, just walking around. As a matter of fact, when we start trying to make people do something, you know, we got kind of laws against that in our culture, you know. I can't make anybody do anything. But here, here's, here's what I know. I know that, and I've shared this before, but it's worth repeating. 
I know this. I know I started going to church with my best friend at the time because he had a good-looking sister. That's why I went to church with him. And God set me up. That's what he does. Just like the other day, we took some kids to move conference. I showed up, three kids here that had been invited last minute, didn't know who they were. I spent about 30 minutes trying to get in touch with the people that just dropped them off. And, and I'm, I'll tell you something, I've learned something, and I'm going to do it because it taught me a lesson. I'm going to answer my phone even if it's a number I don't like. I am. And if it's a, if it's a guy trying to sell me something, I'm just going to play along with it. I'm going to have fun with it. But I learned the other day people need to answer their phone when they don't know the number because there might be somebody that with you about your kid to just, I don't know, know if they can ride rides at an amusement park since that's where we're going? Any allergies? Schizophrenic? Bipolar? I'd like to know these things before we get on a bus and start driving down the road. And I did find all that out. I mean, you know, they get hurt. You want to take them to the hospital or you want them to bleed out? You're the parent. need to know these things. If you are injured and we take you to the hospital, are you going to sue me for that? I mean, these are the questions you've got to ask. I even said, you know, he understands what gender he is, right? I mean, I asked all the questions. I checked all the boxes. And those three boys that showed up at the last minute, they all came to know Jesus over the weekend. I don't know why they wanted to go, but I know God set them up because He set me up. And let me tell you, when God, an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God sets you up, you're doomed. You're doomed, man. No way to escape that. And while I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get good enough friends here so that, you know, Somehow she's going to notice me. I noticed my need for Jesus. And I got saved halfway through the sixth grade. I, it, was, it, was a, it was a watershed moment for me. I had left Earl Ellis's barbershop, left the bowl cut behind. I'd started going to Mark's place, parting my hair in the middle. I, I discovered apple pectin shampoo. I mean, my life was on a roll, man. I had a paper route. I was, I, was, I was now an entrepreneur, buying my own clothes from belts back when I had a men's section then. And, uh, it, you know, and I mean, I bought, I bought good clothes. I mean, I showed up to church in a bright yellow Ocean Pacific outfit. I wanted to be noticed. Sunlight, sunlight in my soul today. That was me. I was, in, I was a picture of him. And I, on a Sunday night, hello, Sunday night. Did you know people get saved on Sunday night when they show up? I showed up on a Sunday night. I went to an altar, and I got saved, and my life's never been the same. Never been the same. And here's what I know. When God saves you, your conduct changes. I couldn't talk the same way. 
I couldn't think the same way. I didn't want to do the same things. And for the first time in my life, going to church over there was not just about, you know, being in the same youth group with, with his good-looking sister. God changed my life as a result of that. And my conduct changed. But let me tell you something. It was voluntary. And, and, and by no means am I telling you today that I, that I got it all figured out, okay? I don't have it all figured out. I know who does have it figured out, and I, and I am a work in progress just like you, sanctification. But I know this. I cannot do things that are counter to Scripture God not check me about it. It's important. Because Paul says our conduct should be voluntary. God's given you the Holy Spirit. Either, either you use it or you don't. If you use it, you'll be successful. If you don't use it, you're going to be pretty miserable. It's voluntary though. I can, I can, we can teach you, we can talk to you and pray with you, but at the end of the day, you've got to bring this stuff online in your life. We all are faced with choices all of the time. Things come up. Things come in and out of the brain, man. And we're, we're making decisions on stuff all the time. We have got to be the ones that bring this online in our life. And we present our bodies. We, pre, we present our bodies. And say, God, use me. Now, we understand that, it, that this should be voluntary. And we also understand that, that there is a force within us, the Holy Spirit, that is desiring to transform us from within while we recognize there is a world outside that is pushing on us from outwardly to conform us. Okay? There is a world that wants you to think a certain way and believe a certain way and be okay with certain things. And if you do that, you will be accepted. See, see God doesn't work from the outside in. God works from the inside out because what's in me proves to me I've already been accepted by the one that matters. It doesn't matter whether anybody else accepts me. Jesus Christ has accepted me and you into his family and now we are children of God. And it doesn't matter what the rest of the world thinks. Oh, they'll try to box you in. They want to keep what we say in these walls. They're perfectly fine with that to, to some degree. When we go outside these walls and what's in us comes out and it shapes what I think and say and it shape, shapes what I do, that's when the world gets upset. Because we shape the culture and they don't. See, our voluntary conduct should refuse to be molded by the other and should be transformed from within us. And how does this show up? Well, it shows up in what you believe, obviously. It shows up in how we respond. It shows up in how we respond with our role uh, in, in, in the nation in which we live. Folks, we, we have a problem today of just God's people being Citizens. I mean, a real, true citizen that takes seriously the type of government we have and so forth. 
Folks, we are called to be involved in that. I mean, if we eject ourselves out of the culture and we are not involved in the system of government in which we live by, then you tell me who is going to shape the world in which we are living in. Lost people. Whatever, whenever there is a vacuum, something will always fill that vacuum. The church doesn't need to be retreating. We need to be on the offensive. And God tells us in His Word, in Romans 13, there is an important role for us to play. The government that we have is supposed to be a government by the people. That's not exclusive of Christians. We need to be a part of that. We need to take an active role in that. We're the government in, according to our, our founding. And we need to participate in that and be a good citizen. <coughs> Just as Paul was. So he talks about the reality of that. He talks about our, our conduct, our citizenship, and he talks about our concern. Romans 14 says that God's people who have been saved and believe in the power of the gospel and have been transformed by it their concerns are not their own self-interest. Go back with me for a moment to Romans in that letter. Paul can't mail it to Rome. The government has a post office, but it only, it only circulates letters around to the government. If you want something delivered to somebody, it's got to be hand-delivered. Understand, Paul is 600 plus miles away, separated by water from where this letter's got to go. He's got to find somebody he can trust and that is willing to board a ship and end up in Rome and get it to the right place. Just, just think about that for a minute. I mean, and, 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 and notice he went, to, he went to the church, see. See, Paul's not asking a dying, lost world to do the work of the church. He's asking the church to do the work of the church. And, that, and, and, and that, that's important. Because I think a terrible testimony is when we're out here begging alms from the world to do the Lord's work. Somebody had to be inconvenient and say, I'm willing to face the perils of sea, the, the, the perils of who knows what traveling looked like in that day. And I'm relying solely on God to get this where it needs to go. They believe Phoebe was that person. But somebody had to say, you know what, I get seasick, but you know what, this is of God. And I'm just going to set my concerns to the side, and I'm going to do what needs to be done. That's what God calls His people to do. Sometimes, sometimes, no, all the time, all the time, 
If we are serious about sharing the gospel, we're going to be inconvenienced. We're, we're sitting there, you know, and forgive me, I've thought every day this week has been slow. I, I'm serious. I've been so messed up from the whole holiday thing. So Sunday, Saturday, Thursday, Thursday night, we go, to, we go to the first session. There are 3,000 students at this conference. We're singing, praising the Lord. I mean, 30 minutes go by, not a glitch. As soon as God's man gets up there and opens his Bible and starts talking about how you need to be sure you can answer the most important question. How do you know you're a Christian? Mike starts. Every other word. Get that taken care of. The very first session, Friday morning, singing, praising the Lord. As soon as the man gets up to share the word, I looked at, at Sarah and I said, you know, I said, if, if you don't believe that the devil hates the gospel, who are you kidding? Soon, as soon as the word was being shared. Tech, I'm a boy, tech, the, the devil is in tech. I just think, you know, we have to be prepared for that. If we're going to share the gospel, we're going to be inconvenienced. We have to be ready to overcome because there are going to be obstacles that are put in the way of getting this message to a world that desperately needs it. What are we planning to do this year? What is our personal goal and focus for the new year? Is it, is it to share in both word and deed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm not just saying some stratospheric level, oh, I want to, I want to see, I want to see people say, but what? Are you willing to be inconvenienced about changing your concerns to accommodate that resolution? What are we willing to do? Because the reality is, if we do not do that, who is going to do it? Who is? Who is going to share the gospel if the church of the living God is not doing it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your call. 
thank you for the people that engaged me with the gospel. Thank you for the people that, that invested in me as a young person. All those people who prayed for me. Thank you for those who invited me, those who encouraged me. Lord, we're called to do nothing less than that. Lord, I pray in our heart of hearts today as we begin the journey of a new year that it would be first and foremost in our hearts that we would want to see people saved. And whatever part, Lord, we need to play in it, may we be obedient to do it. Change us, Lord. Break us and humble us, Lord, into the power of the gospel. Not my way, God, your way. Not my righteousness, Lord, your righteousness. But your glory. May we be zealous in doing it, in sharing it, and change lives. Today I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand on our feet this morning. <clears throat> Stand and sing this morning. If you've never been saved this morning.